Welcome back to Dell Capital. I'm Jacob. It's nice to be back. I know I've been uh, absent a few times recently and we've been recording much less frequently, but uh, I've been off doing finishing my master's, but it's lovely to be back. G'day, Ben. How are you going? Good. Congratulations, Jacob. Thanks, mate. Great to, have, great to see you. Great to yeah, be here. Yeah, feels good. Feels yeah, good. We're, we're back in the green room. Yes. Uh, so here we are. We're at my place. We're just having a couple of beers, having a nice, like, light, you know, um, kick off to the new year. I thought we might... Um, reflect on you know 2022 the year that was the big stuff that caught our attention that we maybe including a couple of things we didn't get to talk about during the year because yep. uh, we've both been pretty busy so don't forget you can subscribe to our patreon um really grateful to our supporters there who keep the show going um it's patreon.com forward slash doll capital um you can see the link in the uh, show description there um and you can follow us on twitter as well uh we're at doll capital and uh, we're recording, as always, on Ngunnawal country, so we repay our respects to um, elders past, present and emerging, and we want to express our solidarity to them in ongoing struggles against the consequences of colonization. So, Ben, well, 2022, how was it? Uh, good and bad, really, wasn't it? Now, I, I think we're probably going to try to kick off with the good sort of stuff. I, I kind of, I'm a bit of a list writer. Yeah, it's, it's come a, a useful skill in my older age, and this, um, I think, the good things is when we ended the year, we've had a couple of months of a change of government in Australia, and that being the election of the Albanese-led um, Parliamentary Labor Party, which, like we talked about um, earlier um, last year, it was um, tax time for leftists, and and I think. What's been surprising is that the tax return's been a little bit better than we thought. Yeah. But not by much. No. So, like, the good thing, I, th- I think what was obviously fantastic was getting rid of the Morrison government, the Morrison-led uh, Liberal National Party government, was very important for Australia and particularly also for countries in the region, if not for the world, in terms of disaster being led from um, the conservative wing of uh, the, the ruling class in this country. So what it what saw is like a big kick against the corruption, the nepotism um, camp going on in the public sector uh, led by the LNP government, the parasites for hire, the outsourcing of anything they possibly could to their rich mates in one of those wonderful dodgy outsourced companies uh, for public sector work, the um, enabling of climate and destroying, just continuing on, uh, the punishment of the poor was, you know, just going to keep going, and mm. those those things are all, all given a, 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 a big pushback by the election of the Albanese-led government. Although critics of the new government will say that on climate destruction and and uh, treatment of the most needy in Australia, they haven't yeah. gone very far at all, right? Yeah, still approving new gas and coal projects. Yeah, um, yep. and they've kicked this uh, raise to new start down the road again. So yeah, I think that, yeah. what, they've formed some fucking committee to look into it or something? They're, well, I think the thing with the committee, but I mean, it's a side... Actually, well, we'll, get, we'll get back to the committee in a little yeah. bit. But I, I, think that, I think the thing about it is we need to recognise positives where we see them. Sure. And the positives are um, the, the last government was a disaster on a number of levels, yeah? Um, the the things that they've, they've kind of... There's been a recognition and a... a um, a realignment, I guess, of some of these things. And that's, look, that's positive. That's good. And it opens up 
opportunities for for our side of politics for us to actually put pressure on the on the parliamentary Labor Party to do more. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. It has been. Uh, on the one hand, positive, but at the other hand, it's like the, you you can uh, not that I have any hair anymore. You can tear your hair <laughs> out with with frustration at, at it. Uh, and I guess in terms of the the legacy, of this is my top number one top top number one for me uh, about last year was okay. Um, the change of government's been really important because it's recalibrating mm. Australian politics, and part of recalibration is also uh, we've seen the the legacy of um, Gillard and Rudd's Labor governments, the Fair Work Act, which was an absolute disaster. And I should also it's also give it to the union bureaucracy for that. Sure, they they plenty um, of blame to go around. They the they work. lots of blame for them as well. Um, they gave us the Fair Work Act, yep. and at all really, if we think about it, all the Abbott led government and the um, LNP government, um, the various you know what we had, we had Abbott, we had Turnbull, and then we had Morrison. They just continued on with what was already set up. They didn't actually have to change the IR laws. It's just that the big end of town got very rich in trying to mm. working out there was these wonderful holes they could get around, and, and they did that ruthlessly. It was a disaster for, for um, uh, organised labour and, and the unorganised labour members. So so seeing um, the Fair Work Act um, neutered to, to some extent and new laws there uh, was a very good thing. Mm. I guess the last um, couple of th- two things I'll say about the positives from the, the change of government yeah, climate, definitely there, definitely front of centre. We'll see more, but is a contested area. Uh, we've, we saw, without any real equivocation, uh, when the uh, cost of living crisis mm-hmm. hit, uh, the PLP did turn around and immediately raise the award wages for the minimum award mm-hmm. conditions in Australia. It's a safety net for workers yep. in Australia. And they stuck to their guns uh, during the election campaign, which was to see, yep. well, at the time, it was a, I think the rate of inflation was 5.1%. And yep. you had Albanese and Tony Burke out on the campaign trail saying, yep, wage rises of the same 5.1, yep. which they've done. Now, inflation has continued, obviously. And yep. So, um, like, wages inevitably will, will lag behind a bit. But yep. the fact that they went in hard with that, I mean, there's a stupid process and it's like it's not really a collective win for mm. the working class when the way the change is made is through the government writing a submission to, a f- the, you know, the um, inquiry review or whatever. But uh, I think, yeah, like, they, you've got to give them props there for yeah, sure. Yeah, no. yeah, no. Look, I think it's significant. If we compare what other uh, centre-left governments have been doing around the world, um, look, the PLP and Australia can hold their heads up on that one. Yep. Um, they didn't, you know, bite the the usual story that they're meant to do, which is, um, you know, basically accept the neoliberal argument and just accept that, you know, we can't have wages that actually matches inflation or that we... Well, basically that somehow inflation is the fault of the poor and the fault of working people as opposed yep. to a, a crisis in profit-making, yep. uh, which is causes inflation, um, not to mention supply-side issues. And we've... We've had people on like Ben Eltham last year, which was great to have that chat and really sort of go through that. Um, I guess that that and support of the pen, uh, people and pension and welfare has been good, and there is big plans to build stuff for the first mm-hmm. time in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And as a can, uh, people, a Canberran or a Kenbaran, uh, it, it does look positive that we actually are going to see um, programs that will around a range of things. You know they're they're going to come, and that's mm. that's a good thing for for Australia. Um, and I like the last thing I think about in terms of Australian politics there is the opening up of opportunities there. Um, whether it, to, to continue to force that argument about taxing the rich, yep. living incomes, uh, you know, far more radical approach to to climate change, um, and to really um, give people a, a confidence to stand up against the sort of the, the BS sort of 
uh, culture war rubbish and just sort of mm. keep 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 on. Yeah, that really has the tone of of like culture war really has massively backed off um, yeah. and cooled down since the change of government. I've really noticed that, and it's not just the like coming out of you know the institutions in the state and and out of the out of question time or whatever it's the media as well it just seems to have like lost all or the t- whole head, head of steam on that stuff yeah i got two things that i'll say as positives for the um change of government one of them well the first firstly this is um uh you know we're waiting with bated breath on this yeah, arts yeah. policy to be announced by yep. tony burke who is the arts minister and crucially also industrial relations minister right so um i think the state of um employment the nature of employment within our all of our creative industries in Australia, um, in one way or another, is pretty dire. Mm. Um, especially if you're in the performing arts, um, and I, like you know, I'm not like a professional musician, but I'm in a band, and you know, like we yeah. we, we play gigs and we work, right? Um, and you know, I've tried to make some moves in the ACT in terms of improving the sort of security and the. Um, the way this is the way that we publicly value live music and other art forms, yep. um, performing art forms, um, and it's you know uh, sort of stalled and not gone anywhere. But hopefully we'll see some action in that on the Commonwealth level. That'd be really great, um, as well as um, winding back you know the kind of like signature policy policy of old Bookshelves brand, uh, Brandis, um, the kind of centralizing of arts funding into the big stodgy old conservative institutions like the opera and like um you know bloody uh, symphony orchestras and things like that and a diffusion of funding back out into the arts that normal people actually consume which is things like live music you know um, hopefully more for australian cinema and television mm. things like that um small art galleries uh, as well as our public institutions which are fucking crying out for money um that's really, you know, really serious. There's, there's like a funding crisis at the National Art Gallery, um, as well as several other, you know, Canberra-located um, big sort of cultural institutions. And I really hope we see some big moves on that. And I have some confidence that it could be could be pretty good. Anyway, the yeah. second thing, um, which was like, you know, right out of the gate, if you remember, as soon as they were kind of sworn in, um, Penny Wong and Anthony Albanese were off to... Um, what was it? Not uh, ASEAN, maybe, or I think they went the to Indonesia first. Yeah, yeah. so um, maybe it was the the quad. Um, but you know, basically reorienting Australia's foreign policy position um, away from a sort of lackey being a lackey of the US, um, which in some respects we still are. Obviously, we've still got our you know seven US military installations on Australian soil, but um, reopening uh, constructive diplomatic dialogue with China. Um, I think is really, really positive, and I hope that we, you know, hope, I hope to see Australia be a positive influence in this building tension, this new idiotic Cold War that the mm. US is trying to prosecute with China. Um, I think that Australia has a really important role to play as like a middle power, not as a, um, you know, a US toady. Um, uh, hopefully that you know leads to positive things. It definitely will in terms of Australia's economic engagement with China, and I think they've already started to see some benefits there. Mm. Um, and you know, I just think it would be it would be idiotic to continue on the kind of belligerent path that the Morrison government had been on, um, which was hitching Australia's wagon to the U.S. war machine and making us a target in 
you know, in the Pacific. Um, yeah. And it's literally endangering the lives of Australians. So, uh, yeah, hats off to Penny Wong uh, and, and Albo for their kind of measured and sensible policy there with regard to China. It's really, really good. You're reminding me of Kevin Rudd today was quoted in the Australian media. Oh, and, and K-Rod's there's a, back. Yeah, K-Rod's back. back. In a big way. The, the crud is Love back. Love to see it. <laughs> yes, he, he has some... Um, what is it? It's oh, like... Get in there, bloody Kevin you, O'Seven. You, Come you, on, you, mate. Yeah, useful idiots, mate, is, is the term that comes to mind yeah. about Mr. Rudd. But um, what, what I did enjoy was him, um, uh, yes, giving the, the US a hard time about um, throwing... Um, Throwing Australia and, and uh, South South Pacific nations under the under the bus, mm-hmm. so to speak, just expecting that when uh, you know countries in the region should just blindly support. Yeah. You know, there's like, well, where, where's the where's the economics? Where's the you know yeah. where's the where's the economic stimulus? Yeah. Blah blah. And look, that that goes hand in hand. The um the PLP has made very strong noises that we actually are going to see a return to actually providing um you know aid and development to um, countries in our region. The last government for 13 years just cut the hell mm-hmm. out of that. And we're only interested in the short-term money-making scams, yeah. basically, yeah. from and their corporate also, links. That was it. Aid, aid is seen as purely instrumental yeah. uh, in cynical terms. Um, and I think that, you know, whether you take the like Chinese um, philosophy on regional and global development, um, you know, in good faith, or if you consider it to be kind of cynical, I think we should take the, take a leaf out of that that book you know at least um what they the what they preach right which is that um global development is good for the whole world Mm. um it's not just about you know um soft power um like we all benefit when the third world develops because it creates new markets and new like it raises people out of poverty and makes the entire region more productive it's good for everybody it's not just about um having leverage over small countries so that we can bully them into making, you know, favorable decisions about, you know, who yeah. they allow to build military or Navy installations or whatever. Um, mm. And what, what would also work uh, even further as well is, is also look, if Australia and New Zealand and uh, other, other nations in the region um, really up their game in terms of um, supporting and developing and, and giving, providing lots of sources for, for mm. nations, in the South Pacific to, to do the thing. Not that I'm an, you know, I don't, we don't claim to be experts on this stuff at all, but that seems quite logical in terms of their soft power. Mm. Soft power can be contested, which goes to that other great thing is uh, I'd, uh, it's important that the the, the, the PLP uh, with China continues, and it has, so we, it's been reported that have they kept their rate, did raise human rights abuses and the like. Uh, they need to can keep doing that. In the meantime, also, um, they, they need to be demanding the release of our citizens that have been, Australian citizens, been um, in, held <laughs> under very dubious um, circumstances in China. Um, but look, democracy for China is the way that pundits out there need to engage with China. Yes, we want to trade with all the rest of it. I think, you know, any international students over here from China or whoever, um, talk to them about democracy. That's just what we want to do. And also solidarity with the people of China who've been um, fighting for those things where it was in Hong Kong or even just workers' rights. Did you see that footage recently? It was the, um, one of those factories that makes the iPhones. Mm. Massive riots, all the rest of the huge, yeah. you know. It was partly yeah. like reaction to COVID lockdowns and the rest of it. And that's been quite fascinating that the reaction to this sort of, you know, yeah. upsurge well, was to all of a sudden, oh, no, we're going to, you know, uh, minimise the rest, uh, restrictions. That's, that's wild. It's a side topic, but 
like things like that. Well, the idea that yeah, like the yeah. state in China is absolutely unresponsive to yeah. democratic pressure is wrong. It's yeah, not true. Right. It's not true. Yeah, right? that's right. It's the same way that during the Cold War, um, you know, the Eastern Bloc, Poland is a great example of this, right? Yeah, like, yeah. In that, like, uh, in actually, a, about a ten-year cycle, very similar to the cycle in the U.S. and other Western countries, where they mm. had uh, elections that resulted in changes of government. About pretty much the same time cycle, Poland had massive demonstrations that resulted in the like the revolving of the um, people in the top of the bureaucracy, right? Like, and it probably had a pretty similar effect on the political impact that was being made from the top level onto the bureaucracy and the, you know, other arms of the state, which is to say not that much, right? But about as much as what was happening in the, U- in the US and the West, right? Like, I think there's this sort of simplistic binary that's cast up between like quote-unquote democratic countries like ours mm. which i would say i just look up, look upon pretty cynically i don't think we're particularly democratic no that's right we have a whole facade of democracy yeah um, but where does where does that get us right yeah. um uh as opposed to you know in china they do things pretty differently like um the obviously it's a one-party state right and they don't like hold um free elections periodically but that's not to say that there are not you know ways in which the state is subject to pressure from yeah, below. Right? Absolutely. And this is a perfect example of that. Right? Yeah. Where you had so in the case you mentioned the Foxconn factory. Basically the way that Foxconn were managing their production, you know, uh, and trying to deal with the fact that the co- the government was imposing very strict uh like public safety measures around COVID was that they did something kind of akin to say James Cameron with the uh, uh set of av- the Avatar movies, right? They created this bubble city and you couldn't go in or out people lived in dormitories and it's not a good way to live right like uh people's entire lives suddenly are at work you know um now these are like completely unsatisfactory living and working conditions right they're not being opposed by the communist government they're being opposed by capital in china by foxconn yeah so to blame the situation on the chinese government which yes has a has a like a you know, intense, had an intense, strict zero COVID policy and was creating the conditions, right? But to blame the actual outcomes on them rather than on capital in China, on Foxconn, is kind of bizarre to me. But what you saw was like the press in the West, um, like overjoyed by the idea that there was like, oh, rebellion, oh, oh, the Communist Party is finally going to fall. You know, people like really wetting themselves over, salivating over this possibility. And I think like that was a, really misguided and just wishful thinking kind mm. of you know um, i think more the wishful thinking i mean yeah. they, these things like they do periodically happen yeah. in, in china it's yeah. just they're even not reported or not reported very well and we you know mm. unfortunately we don't know like they they go for a bit then they peter out mm. and, you know like you're saying like there's a bit of a deck chairs change and all. but i mean look the example of poland you're using before is that like almost like a cyclical little revolt that you'd have under during the cold war period the difference was when Look, when Solidarność kicks off in in eighty eighty one, like that's the, that's the transforming one because that 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 um that particular rebellion was so deep and so um, heavy that they actually started creating their own centers of power, which were outside of yeah, that's right. We're going to be happy with changing some of the you know reforming some of the people and the top of the um and the bureaucracy. It was like no, no, we're actually going to start running things ourselves, which is you know what what organically kicked off there. That's you know, Partly why I was so ruthlessly crushed, but also partly why, you know, it's it was one of the key things that um, 
a lot of activists pointed to was was what happened how how Poland did its yeah. its gig and that's how it definitely helped in terms of you know the the collapse in eighty nine and yeah. into the nineties but look but I, I agree with you um, it's there are some really positive things to sort of point to there in terms mm-hmm. of class trouble and I, I guess that gets us to like probably like the second thing from last year is actually the return of class struggle as mm. a, as into the mainstream I, I, I'm of a pedigree that remembers that um, I, I mean effectively in college we were told it was the end of history you know yes. like like it was you know you know Francis Fukuyama is you know had all sorts of interesting sort of rethoughts about what what he sort of was quoted as writing with that mm. one um, but we really were was told in the in the 90s that neoliberalism was it yep. it was the triumph of neoliberalism against communism whatever that was meant to mean and totalitarian yeah, to, oh totalitarian that was what it was right yes yeah you always kept running into problems when you, you yeah. started looking at like you know the Tito's um, the Balkan the Yugoslavia or you know yeah, various aspects of stuff. They weren't yeah. quite, you know, but by the by, like, um, it has been what we've been well and truly seeing is the we're seeing the, the death throes of neoliberalism right now. And last year was a classic um, example of that. I know we're talking about lightly about trying to be overblow it, but um, COVID exposed a whole lot of things, a whole lot of problems with neoliberalism. Uh, in terms of um, what was going on with economies and, and a turn, a very hard turn to uh, nation states intervening in economies yet again. And that followed on like, well, it was only less than 10 years. Was it 10 years? Like the, yeah, the great financial crisis in 2008. Like these things become so cyclical and all the rest of it. Like um, people, aren't, people aren't watching the show anymore. You know, they're... they're, they're I guess they're, so. Yeah, so I, I think... It's interesting you yeah. say that because I, w- I was just... Um, uh, what was I listening to um rising it's like this um show it's got brianna brianna joy gray who's like a former former bernie staffer and she does it with um this guy who's like a libert- kind of a libertarian and they do a kind of like you know yeah. two sides of the of the argument kind of kind of thing and it's it's not too bad mm. and they were covering a story in the u.s where they've had this crazy um uh you know travel crisis um, yeah, over yeah. christmas where a particular airline south southwest airlines overbooking flights which um can't really get away with in Australia as easily, but in the US it seems to be completely unpoliced. Um, and people are getting to the airport um, in their hundreds and finding that they they don't have a seat on the plane that they've shown up for. And like, sorry, you go back to your hotel or you wait in the airport for 10 hours until the next flight or basically go fuck yourself, right? Um, and there were these shocking clips of like cops coming into the airport and threatening to arrest people because they were waiting, lining up at a counter trying to get their ticket changed and shit like that. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think, and so, what? There's something they mentioned, which which was that this air, particular airline copped a fucking shitload of bailouts during COVID, right? Wow. Like they copped millions of dollars, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And what did they do? They do that. They during this crisis right now, they're saying, oh well, the thing is, our scheduling system is, uh, you know, it's very outdated. It's from the oh, well, we need more. So money. when they took all that money, do you think they invested, reinvested it into their scheduling system? No, they put it straight into stock buybacks yeah. and yeah. Gave, paid out a shitload of dividends to their to their shares, yep. shareholders, right? So I think, yeah, on the level of like individual welfare and employment insurance in the case of the US and mm. COVID checks and all that, like we can look at that in isolation and think, ah, oh, yeah, okay. So like there's been some kind of turn away from the neoliberal model because we associate that with austerity, right? But I think that a better way to think about it in the, over a slightly longer time horizon is that the 
all of the welfare, corporate and individual, that was doled out during COVID was a very neoliberal kind of response to maintaining the system. It was completely necessary. And the individual welfare was like a really effective cover for the bucket loads of money that was just handed to the corporate sector and with absolutely no strings attached you know like mm. um in the u.s they have they had these ppp loans um i don't even know what it stands for but you know basically um pretty big loans for businesses to to basically keep people on payroll. probably private right? enterprises right? yeah uh yeah. No, no no private enterprises yeah. um just but basically just to keep people on payroll I yeah, think yeah is the idea um and people got i think up to about 50 grand maybe it was even a little bit more than that um and then like when biden came in like he uh waived all that debt because it was like okay like Mm. we should think of that as you know stimulus and um and sort of a rescue package like we don't want to load people up with debt now so it's pretty reasonable to forgive it all but what you then found was all of these people with you know small companies politicians with like fake catering companies and yep. you know a lot of private you know i mean a lot of like property investment as well that they're um you know using a um, business tax filing to manage or whatever basically just paying themselves out you know a couple a couple grand or yep. tens of thousands of dollars or whatever i mean like there really is like an i think yet to be seen amount of like unbelievable rotting as a result oh of, yeah absolutely you know, absolutely um, yeah i agree with what you're saying it's it's the um i think in terms of death row i'm, I'm talking about like the classic one what was the name i've actually just forgotten her name the prime minister of the uk it was around uh, she was there for oh, liz trust right? oh yeah there you go yes. 44 days she yep. wasn't there for long, yeah. yes uh now i think this is the classic one for me like it symbolized like neoliberalism is just is constantly going dealing with this just just crisis 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 mm. It reaches for old old tactics like you know you were just talking about, or, or it, yeah, it just just can't seem to fix it and can't seem to get their nose out of the trough. But the Liz Trust thing was an incredible example there, where they literally, like, when you've got bits of the state and their their banks basically saying, you know, you're insane, mm-hmm. um, because literally it was we're going to hand out a whole lot of money to very wealthy people and we're not actually going to have enough money to pay to run our services and you know causing a you know a sovereign uh, wealth you know flight and whole sort of crises for um you know interest rates and and or you know it's been terrible they're they're, they're dealing with that stuff but i mean that was for me that was an example of like this is where that peak ideologue you know neoliberal sort of that free marketeer libertarian nutcase sort of stuff they've had that Mm. but now they're stuck with this guy who still believes in all that crap he's just a bit more pragmatic and they're still, still again, headbanging. Mm. And, and I guess that's where, you know, that's where they, they find themselves with the, the whole thing. And we, we go to Latin America and we've, we've seen, it's taken years, but, you know, the reaction against neoliberalism there, I think, you know, Chile is a uh, really important one for us. Uh, but uh, most of the South, South American tool, well, too recently, the Peru thing, mm. had gone centre-left or some version of the left. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's again, a great segue. So, so yeah, up, it's, it's been a, a fantastic time, yeah. years for like, I mean, the big inner towns have a hard time and our side has been fighting and winning around the world and that's really cool. Um, yeah. I'm a, I think I'm a little more uh, sanguine about pink tide in some ways yeah. in, in South America. I think that um, 
Chile has been incredibly disappointing, actually. So let's let's segue into it's talking about South America. Horizon corn, yeah. Yeah, maybe generally. So, Hello, Jose. We'll, we'll have yeah, to get you back on. The yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um, you know, as our listeners who listen to the show regularly will know, we've been we've done like an ongoing series with our mate Jose Munoz, um, talking about the sort of development of the constitutional convention in Chile, um, and then the um, the election of um, Frente Amplio, the um, kind of coalition of kind of left wing and indigenous. Um, groups that um, really came together around the new constitution and the need to kind of throw off the legacy of Pinochet, um, which um, so they had Gabriel Boric elected to the presidency, which was a big moment, you know, millennial, he was a student activist and all this. Yeah. But I would say, firstly, Boric himself has been quite a disappointment. He's shown himself uh, much more willing to show solidarity to the, uh, you know, capitalist interest in, in, um, Chile and other parts of South America than he has been to show um, solidarity with the, you know, um, Chavista kind of um, aspects of the previous generation of socialists in South America. Mm. Okay. So, like, he's been quite happy to denounce Maduro or, you know, other, like, you know, like more legacy left wing figures who are more associated with Chavez than they are with, like, Lula, for example. Mm. Um, I think. That. And then the other thing is that uh, after what looked like a really promising constitutional convention, um, the referendum voted it down. Yeah, they lost that. Um, which is tragic because it I is think tragic. That yeah. was yeah really promising, um, and it looks like the focus for the new they're gonna they're gonna try again, but with a bigger focus on um, identity groups like particularly women and indigenous people which is really important but they'll be dumping a lot of the more radical economic proposals to enshrine economic rights into the new constitution and things like that because mm. those are really the things that the we, we definitely of, need to get jose on the talk yeah absolutely, about that, absolutely. So yeah, yeah um so we also saw the election of pedro castillo in peru which was really exciting a rural teacher socialist again Yep. Um, and then, yeah, just at the beginning of, the, of December, um, there's there's now been a, an effective coup against him. I think it's you know pretty rare to see anyone in the Western press calling it this. Um, the narrative that was pushed by the uh, the US and the um, OAN and the usual suspects associated with the CIA, uh, not to uh, mention the uh, former CIA agent, US ambassador to Peru, who. I believe met with the defense minister the day before the coup and the defense minister on the day of the coup um, had the army no turn against Castillo and everything um, that uh, they've all kind of come out and sort of pushed this narrative that um, Castillo was um, trying to himself conduct a kind of self coup and, and you know, uh, as far as I can tell what he was trying to do was a completely legitimate um, dissolution of the Congress um, mm. to hold new elections because it was obstructing his agenda um, and the way that it's been framed instead is that he was making a grab for a power. power. Grab, yeah, yeah. Um, and ju- it goes to show like how incredibly careful um, leaders have to be, especially in South America, mm. um, that the first task for anyone coming into power is to consolidate. Um, it's You can't just um, act as though winning one election and having the support of the people is enough. Uh, and since he's he's been arrested, they've charged... They're trying to um, get him up for 18 months, um, in prison without a p- proper trial um, and there's been a lot of unrest in the streets um, yep. I think uh, quite a number of protesters have already been killed by riot squads um, they've declared a state of emergency and had nothing but support from 
um, the, the US from Canada and uh, other North American um, leaders. Meanwhile, um, Australia, you wouldn't hear about it. No, you just wouldn't hear about you it at all. It's just, nope. just hardly anything. Uh, it might be a sort of a uh, couple of lines in the world news section of your newspaper if yeah. you if you even bought the newspaper anymore. No, it's it's not good. Uh, but the yeah. narrative they would push would be definitely the um yeah you know, the uh, OAN narrative, um, which is a real shame. So yeah, really sad. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, great to see Lula winning the election in Brazil. Oh yeah, that um, was incredible. The man is back. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, like I've said, like he's I'm back. skeptical of, sort of meat, the millennial he's, he's pink He's cooking meat on the street, man. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I know. He's having a barbecue. So good, man. Yeah. He's real. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I, like I said, I'm skeptical of the kind of millennial wave yeah. of the pink tide, but um, the old hands are still there. And um, Lula, you know, endorsed yeah. by Castro, you know, uh, <laughs> he's the man. He's so good. He's, he's a, the, you know, uh, he, was, he was a leader of coal miners in, uh, yeah. in Brazil. And uh, he... Like he's got the stuff. He's going to go the yeah, distance. Yeah. I hope. And uh, it's great to see. I don't know if you saw uh, Bolsonaro. He's fled to the US. Oh, you saw that, that picture of him in the yeah, KFC. Yeah, KFC in Florida. Yeah, man, that's gold. The, the man won't last six months. His yeah, arteries. Whoever got that rock hard. <laughs> yeah, he's hard. Will Dude, well, he's perpetually in, like he's yeah. been to hospital when he was president. He went to hospital twice for an impacted bowel. <laughs> like he does not treat himself properly and now he's oh, going to be man. exposed to the absolute worst of American cuisine he's fucked he keep, won't live keep that man away from a dietitian like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh my god man like, no, that's anyway terrible. so that was no, a, I yeah. think Bolsonaro in the US could yeah. be a really fantastic very entertaining turn in his career which I look yeah, forward yeah. to with great zeal I, I guess we just gotta like wait and see hope uh, express solidarity and, and hope that uh, maybe Lulu and uh, and and the Brazilian government might lead away and show away mm. for other Latin American countries for, for how the how yeah. things should be going, because um, that was the most exciting thing is actually seeing um, Southern America really give the the one figure to salute to the US and yeah, and actually more also just demonstrating to the the backward parasites of those ruling classes of those countries that you know hey we can actually have our own kind of governments thanks very much and we shouldn't have to sort of kowtow to what the US says so. Yeah. That was really positive. So, look, I guess we'll, we'll sort of see what's going on. And I guess the, the, the other flip, flipping the other, to the other side of the world, um, the latter part of the last few months, we've seen an uh, incredible uprising by um, by ordinary folk in Iran. Uh, the, re- the revolts kicked off by women who've literally just had enough of um, being treated terribly over there, mm. uh, particularly after the um, just awful... Um, yeah, you can only just call it a state torture and execution of a, a Kurdish um, woman. And we've had the um, the revolt that's been going on now. That one's one to one to watch because it's not you know it's not guaranteed how things will go. It's all pretty awful. And meanwhile, we know that the um, the former Shah of Iran, sort of you know the monarchists. Are, oh, he stands uh, ready. He's waiting. Uh, yeah, the the <laughs> monarchists are well and truly out there getting yeah, ready. So getting I think ready. It, they yeah, sort of come crucial. and fill the void. void. Is, that's right. We have to be sort of careful. I mean, it's hard to. I mean, with not knowing enough about the the politics there, it's. I guess the important thing is to sort of like yeah, show solidarity and, and and the like where we can, and just be a little bit aware that there's it's not a homogenous political movements that are you know no, necessarily part of the, that's the right. opposition. The opposition's um, pretty multifaceted yep. in terms of its interests and, and views of the world. So yeah. Um, all power to them. So hopefully we get to talk more about that end of the new year. Mm. Uh, what else we want to talk about? Um, so another big story this year that I wanted to mention was the 
massive catastrophic collapse of the crypto markets. Mm. Um, I've been doing a bit of research today and did, like- Did you lose some coin? No, not personally, <laughs> no. But you know, so I had a chat to this guy who um, uh, is, is a former co-worker of my girlfriend's um, uh, about six months ago when he was working there. And uh, we're chatting over the bar and he was, he's, you know, telling me about, uh, you know, he's got some, he's got some money invested in crypto. He's, he was very enthusiastic about Ethereum, which is like the Chinese yeah. coin. Um, and I was like trying to probe him and get an idea of how much he had. And he was like, oh, it's a lot. You know, it's like, you know, six figures. And this is like a 20 year old guy who works at a bar. And I'm like, what the fuck? So firstly, what are you talking about? Oh, that's insane. That's incre- incredible. Where are you getting the money from? And like, why? Like, what the fuck are you doing? That's really risky and, and idiotic. And he's like, oh, no, don't worry. It's like family money, community money. Like, I know a lot of people and I've like I've raised money from them and I'm putting it into, into crypto. And it's like, oh, man. it was bleak, no, man. No. So what we had this year was firstly the sort of slow but sure collapse of the nft market i don't know if you remember it was 2021 that nfts really blew up and these are like the little tokens and like yep. basically what you I have do is, remember that yeah. and then they said oh no it's a flash of the pan it'll be normalized yeah so there's the what is it? it was the crash we had to have right well so like yeah. you know what they are is they're like um images that whose sort of um key ident- identifying key is then like on a, a block in the blockchain and so the, your ownership of it is somehow, you know, um, indelible and fixed, right? Right. Um, in a way that could never be done before for an, like a, a binary image. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there was like this crazy, you know, like kind of tulip-esque um, speculation bubble of people buying up these things. We had the most famously the sort of blue chip ones like the Bored Apes. You know, if you remember the apes. Yeah, yeah, Things yeah. like that. Um and people were buying them for insane prices. You had big celebrity um, endorsements. You had fucking like Paris Hilton went on Jimmy Fallon and they both had their apes. And this really gross, like cynical um, effort by the early investors and then their celebrity endorsers to like really hype it up, pump it up and get normal people to throw their money into it. Yeah. With the promise that this is only going to go up and you're going to be able to invest in this, put your life savings into it and, you know, so now what you have is um, uh, the, the state of things is you've got like um, uh, the ATO having to release advice on what people need to do in order to correctly declare their losses from crypto. That's how bad it's gotten. Um, so, for example, you know, you, you need to realize your losses, which is to say you have to find someone who will buy your shitty NFT for a low price if you're going to write off your loss on tax. You know, they've had to come out and and wow. clarify how people are going to have to deal with it come, yep. come you know, June, July. Um, so that was happening mid this year because it was already pretty clear that the mid last year. NFT... Yeah, sorry, mid last year, thanks. Yep. Uh, 2022, uh, when it was clear that the NFT market was really going kaput. And then just at the end of 2022, we had the FTX blow up. So how familiar are, are you with this? Enough that there was there was one guy that yeah. was like treated as basically some kind of that's like right. whiz kid. Yes, like, Sam Bankman-Fried. Okay, yeah. so the and, wunderkind and he, of uh, the crypto now, world, now right? Basically bankrupt. Selling right? himself as this like you know um, kind of you know young genius, yeah, um, you know all that. Yeah. But yeah, right. So he, his whole thing was like, well, we're you know we're not cowboys. We're going to do it like the proper way. Um, he uh, his parents are academics. Um, 
and they're into this philosophy called um, effective altruism, which is so has served as a you know a justification for um, accruing obscene amounts of money with the idea that it's yep. of greatest. It's it's just fucking utilitarian bullshit basically yeah, yeah. it's like um you know uh, it's it's better that i an enlightened noble uh accrue as much resources as possible because so i can, give I can make the right choices about yes. where it should go most effectively right um so he was into that uh basically what it turned out was so he was operating ftx which is like a uh, an exchange basically so uh people would um send their crypto over to ftx which holds it yep and then it allows them to make trades between different currencies and all kinds of different things, different assets um, on the website. Um, so, ba- but basically as like monopoly money at that point, because yep. like FTX holds your crypto and then they just give you an account that gives you sort of a value that you can move around as much as you like. Uh, but what they didn't tell their customers they were doing, and I don't also think they declared to the relevant US authorities that they were doing, was they were lending money like the uh, customer assets out to their sister organization, which was a hedge fund also run by Sam Bankman-Fried and his his kind of clique of of, um, oh, of buddies. No. Okay, so yeah. they were they were making risky bets with the hedge fund uh, with customers' money, and so uh, when uh, it came pu- when push came to shove, and there was a kind of uh, little just a hiccup where. Um, I think there were kind of negotiations with another massive crypto exchange, um, uh, Coinbase, I believe. I think that's the one. Um, to possibly buy out FTX or maybe vice versa. Um, the owner of that other exchange put out a bunch of tweets saying, oh, I've looked into the books of FTX and it looks a bit dodgy. Um, suddenly people oh, were like, God. okay, I'm taking my money out. And they were like, we don't have yeah. it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. so bank run effectively and well it's not really a bank but you run on the exchange and yeah. then um, total disaster and collapse so Sam Bankman fried he ran off to the Bahamas which is where his sort of big you know crypto mansion was with, which he was running with his little fucking <laughs> har- harem of, of um, crypto nerds no. um, and he's now been extradited to the US um, and uh, he's probably fucked I would say yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah looking into this it looks like I think someone was saying uh, well, $1.6 trillion has been wiped off the market cap of um, the whole like, crypto space. And that's a lot of that um, is like average retail investors. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's yeah, really it's fucked. So it's normal people who have been, you know, they've seen like the, you know, the big hyped mm. up Super Bowl ads and, and mm. all this stuff and um, believing that this was like a, a new and relatively safe way to sort of yeah, invest yeah, their yeah, nest yeah. egg, right? No. I think in some way it's a it's interesting to think about it as a bit of a symptom of the like what's happening to the housing market in places like Australia and the US, yep. which is that ordinary people are being totally priced out by institutional investors. Yeah. Um and so the sort of classic next nest egg of the family house and pl- maybe an investment property. Yeah. Um which are real assets that have actual value to other people in the world is like less and less available. To be, to be well, there's to that, invest. and the, the fact that savings doesn't get you like well, yeah, exactly anywhere unless you've no. got a lot of money already. Yeah, savings, you know, it's so. it's basically worth. And so. shares shares have had a lot of um, real topsy turvy time. Um, yeah, so time, people so. looking for something else. People looking for, a, you know, for these, that these companies are promising people insane returns of yeah. t- ten to twenty percent, right? And basically on the basis of a Ponzi scheme where they're yeah. promising the same returns to somebody else and then giving them to the first person. You know, like yeah. um, so. Uh, yeah, what I saw was um, 
it's estimated that about a million people, Australians, hold at least one cryptocurrency. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and so that's about 10% of the people who are individual yeah, investors. I, I, I know some friends who've had, but they were mm. like small, yeah, very small, right, like right. a couple hundred bucks yeah. just to sort of have a play. And it's literally, I'm like, I hope they get rid of it. But um, yeah, <laughs> well, got the rid other of thing it. is what I, I've been saying is that it's, it's, it's like... It's, it's a, I, I was just looking at it. This is just gambling. This is just yeah. gambling and just stay the hell away from it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've also seen... Um, you know, people in the, towards the end of their careers who have got self-managed super funds, and I'm mm. talking about kind of like sort of crunchy Byron Bay yeah, yeah. types, right? Um, who oh, think man. they know everything about the world? Um, yeah. Have they've got self-managed super funds, and yeah. they've put half the money into crypto, and they've lost it all. You know, it's like it's tragic. I mean, um, one thing I'll say is that regulators in Australia and the US have been totally asleep at the wheel on this. Yeah, you know, the first big crash of like the price of bitcoin and a bunch of other big coins was like 22 10 years ago yeah think about that in 10 years no satisfactory regulatory regime has been built up um apra is saying is it yeah uh the which, whichever prudential body in australia is, is relevant to um crypto um is saying that they're planning on uh, having their regulatory regime fully implemented by 2025 you know, it's way too late. It's way too late because it's already ruining people. Yeah, well, it's done. And, you know, I mean, as if the Banking Royal Commission um, and Financial Services Royal Commission hadn't already sh- shown it, um, regulation of finance in Australia is piss weak, not remotely good enough. And this is like kind of goes back a bit to like the kind of late stage neoliberalism thing. Yeah. I think that like um, we are kind of seeing this new phase where financial technology this is not just about crypto right Mm. um other kinds of financial technology are emerging because finance capital requires new ways to squeeze profits out of the middle class basically Mm. um and so it's basically it's basically learning how to do that i don't know if you remember the um the robin hood um gamestop affair this was in 2021 i believe um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, kind of like our v- version of EB Games or something like that. Yeah, GameStop was. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but it's you know, it's definitely a sort of legacy brick, brick and mortar kind of um, yeah, store. Yeah, Not yeah. the kind of thing that you would think of as like the next big yeah. um, investment stock, right? What basically happened was you had a bunch of people who were on Reddit and crypto, other crypto yeah. forums and things um, uh, organizing together and agreeing to pump up this stock. You know, it's a meme stock, basically, mm. where it's like, okay, we'll all buy, we'll all buy GameStop, and uh, we're facilitated in doing this with Robinhood, which is like this retail investment app where you just sign up, and it makes trading stocks relatively easy for a normal person, right? Yep. So people start pumping up the price of GameStop. Everyone's like, ha ha ha, this is so funny. Oh look, we're all going to get rich. All of our stocks getting more and more valuable. Tell your friends, tell everyone to buy in, and then of course maybe one percent of the people get out in time, and then everybody else um, gets fucked because yeah. Robinhood um, saw what was going on, realized that this was like extreme kind of collective market manipulation going <laughs> on, and they stopped yeah. people people from taking out their money, and yeah. so a lot of people lost money because um, there were serious questions about the uh, parent company of Robinhood uh, being able to, I think, back up all of these payouts if all you know people really did start selling off at this inflated stock price yeah so to me this speaks to the kind of 
death within the imagination of most of the middle class. Um, the death of collective action as something to be to, to be done in the workplace, um, yeah. and also to be addressed to the state as well as the bosses, to capital. Mm. And instead, we have this kind of um, really individualized kind of collective action, which is like the aggregate market uh, interactions. Of around lots of individual forum, yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah, it, it's like, um, yeah, we're all going to do this together, and they would say, like, we're all in this together. Everybody holds, you know, like, um, we're all going to get rich together. Um, so it's like this weird kind of, you know, perverse um, collect uh, collective action because it's the, it's the only thing that's kind of like even remotely, you know, imaginable. I think like, mm. the idea of collective collective action at work has been largely foreclosed by things like the Fair Work Act and our draconian industrial relations regime like uh, and even when we do have you know collective wins it's things like uh, the minimum wage getting a rise because the you know government of the day wrote a strongly worded uh, submission to the inquiry yeah, you know yeah. there isn't a feeling that we're rather, rather than um, saying we're going to sack the, um, the 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 liberal party appointees of uh, sitting on the so-called independent committee but uh, commission but yeah well, they've done that too, which is yeah. well with the um, AAT, which is great. But yeah, that was very good. That um, was awesome. Yeah, I just think like you can yeah, see I, there, yeah, it's like this it is desire a, to do yeah. something together, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this also there, it, there was an act of like there was a sense in which it was an act of rebellion against like yeah. the lords and the, the clerics of of finance and capitalism, right? Like yeah. we're all laughing at the like Wall Street traders who are freaking out because we've figured out how we can you know like write the matrix code ourselves is the yeah, kind yeah. of idea yeah um but at the end of the day like it's the big hedge funds that have now they've gotten wise to fintech and to crypto mm. and started having such a massive footprint on the market that they're able to safe pretty safely put a bunch of money into you know cryptocurrencies and whatever um and they've got the technological tools to do that to do arbitrage to detect opportunities um, through you know, market analysis, like data-driven mm. market analysis, which normal people don't have. Mm. Like going on Reddit and seeing someone say like, oh, let's all pump up this stock is not the same thing as, you know, someone from like BlackRock or whatever having, you know, <laughs> you know, 50 gigahertz of computing power at their desk and being able to analyze, you know, yep. 50 global markets at once and see where one thing's trading higher than the other, yep. or tra- trading higher in one place than the other. And then being able to make instantaneous transactions to make mm. tiny profits, but it, which in aggregate become enormous profits over time. We're talking about a totally different approach to yep. investment. And the way the big players make money yep. is the little players losing. That's how yeah. it has to work. Yep. Okay? Um, but I mean, like that, that squeeze of the sort of middle income people has been like, I think you've hit the nail on it. That's, that's well and truly we're seeing that play out from last year. and. And it's definitely one of those symptoms of what's going on. In terms of, like, I mean, it is interesting though that you can get that sort of atomized, uh, then looking for a collective solution to, I mean, what, what essentially is it? I mean, that's, it is one of the things about capitalism that always seems to be able to, um, not always, it seems to be able to adapt and evolve. And, you know, because at the end of the day, it is like, it's not, it's a, a system that's made up of real life. You know, blood and bone brains that <laughs> can sit down and try to knit together a solution when um, when a crisis happens. But I mean, the 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 other bit though that's been interesting, flipping that is what's happened with in terms of people sort of 
seeing, particularly last year. Uh, we saw snippets of it in 21, a bit of a return to, to sort of strike wave in the US. Um, but in the UK, uh, it's been pretty spectacular. It's the biggest strike movements they've had since the, the since the seventies. Um, not as big as the seventies, but you know, pretty substantial. Um, there's been similar interesting developments in in Europe and uh, in the US. We the more recent train dispute. Um, train dive has been really interesting because it's really exposed just how draconian and stupid um, some of the laws are in the US. So, you know, not allowing train workers um, personal leave. You know, sick pay, just nutty stuff. So that's been really good to see. That's been positive examples there of like how to how to take on and and uh, the the cost of living crisis around the world. So look, I don't know. I mean, mm. my, the the hope I have is that that is going to. There's every indication. Say the UK government, for example, is just they're insane. Um, I think they're just going to continue to try to crash or crash through. And it's a question of how bad things are going to get before they come up with some sort of um, way to try to ameliorate it um, but we are looking at a pretty stark time uh, you know in a number of countries mm. with, with some various struggles so, but very positive at the same time that people aren't um, caving so far yeah no I think all the um, all the sort of different pieces are moving on a trajectory towards greater and greater um, clashes yep. between capital, capital labour and the state you know, like in the case of the U.S. train dispute, um, the Biden administration backed in the bosses um, and um, forced through a deal that the, the workers could never accept, um, which is a bit of disappointment from mm. a president who kind of talked up his you know working class credentials yep. and has not just not just culturally, but like has explicitly su- declared himself a supporter of unions. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's exposed himself to be a complete fraud, which we already knew. We already knew. Like, um, I think, what is it? Branko Bomber Biden, Bran- I mean, you know, come on. Like. Yeah, uh, but Branko Marcher teaches a book on Biden, um, Yesterday's Man. It was a great yep. read to look at the whole trajectory of his career as yep. a cynic, a fraud, and a bit of a fucking moron as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a yep. really easily manipulated doofus. Yep. Um, yeah, so... Uh, why, was there anything you just wanted to say on that? Oh, I think, look, look, you know, Mick Litch, the mm. general secretary of the, the RMT union, isn't awesome. The guy. has been fantastic. Like, yeah, I just think, I think um, every unionist out there in Australia should really pay attention to what's going on with the UK and be very inspired um, by the way that they're fighting and the way that they, the way they talk as well, is, which is fantastic. It's the... Uh, the way they talk is their emphasis on workplace organising, but the key bit they talk about workplace power over and over and over again is what they're talking about, and that is something Australian unions, um, Australian union activists can definitely um, take on and and look at the situation we find ourselves in now that we have the opportunity of uh, laws, the Fair Work Act being neutered. Uh, we we are up there is going to be an opportunity with this. Um, multi-employer bargaining um look it's look it's what is it it's like schrodinger's cat joke isn't it you know is the cat dead or alive um i'm hoping that the opportunities provided by that is going to see a turn to talking about workplace power as opposed to talking about um uh political campaigning 
and i.e. be like by political like you know turning people out to vote as opposed to trying to turn people out to actually be in the you know exercise power work so let's see how that goes i think there are opportunities there and obviously there's the, the reforms aren't perfect by any means and they don't go far enough but it's um a huge step forward from what we previously had so it's that's that's yeah that was my last thing i wanted to say about mm. uh about that one there but um, you know but it looked like yes the crypto stuff's absolutely wild mm. in terms of you know just it's just a really one example of some pretty wild things that are going on at the moment i'm just glad i'm Never got into it to begin with. No, no, I occasionally had a look and gone, oh, you know. I remember being you know, in high school and friends, friends came, up, came up to me one day yeah. when I was in like year 11 yeah. and said, hey, do you want to go in on a Bitcoin? We're going to buy one because it's funny. And it was yeah. like, oh, it's going to be about 100 bucks each for five of us or something yeah, yeah. Back, in, back then. And, you know, if we had, if we had done it, we'd, we would have made some money at some point. But um, yeah. we would have made a shitload of money. But... Uh, for anyone getting in after it's been hyped up, once it, you know, as soon as it was like you had fucking TV ads and stuff pumping yeah. it up, trying to get normal people involved, it was destined for a massive, massive crash. Yeah. But um, why don't we finish up the episode talking about? Because we're in Canberra, of course, um, yep. coming to you from the main streets of Canberra, and uh, right now in Canberra, I'm having a bit of deja vu because I can hear loud engines driving up and down Northbourne Avenue, um, hooting and hollering up and down the road and it you reminds me a bit of yeah. around this time last yeah. year yeah. Um, we had the old uh, Freedom Convoy riding on through yep um, and uh, that was like one of the big stories from the start of this year um, start of 22 yeah sorry yeah start of yeah. last year this year that's just passed yeah. and um, yeah I thought we could reflect on, on that because it feels like way longer than a year ago to me um, but uh, it's yeah, only February yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. February 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, the flu truck clan came yeah, to town. Yeah. So I think there's two lessons that we should should take from that whole whole affair. Number one is that, I mean, this has been a maybe running theme over this episode, which is that the petty bourgeoisie in the West is losing its marbles. Yeah. Um, it really exposed the fact that a big section of it, a uh, rapidly growing section, um, has arrived through the internet and atomization and whatever at this acceptance of both pseudo-legal and pseudo-medical beliefs um, that are rapidly propagating. Um, it's still pretty fringe. I understand that. Mm. But at the same time, it's, you know, luckily it's, it's big enough to make an impact, but it's luckily also so disorganized and insular and um, fractured into the scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that like uh, it hasn't been able to, to sort of, turn into anything kind of coherent but it is a meaningful constituency um and i just think that yeah symptom of something larger that there's a crack up going on amongst the people Mm. who are the most insecure in the like in our in terms of like insecure from up and from above and below if you know what i mean it's those petty bourgeois Mm. kind of small business owners and um you know people in insecure work uh but who are relatively well paid um and not, those not, are the people not connected to big workplaces, not connected no, to. Yeah. You know, and it's not surprising. Largely they're not connected independent. To the unions because unions entrepreneurial. are so small. These That's days. right. Uh, definitely anti union, staunchly, largely staunchly anti socialist. Um, kind of like the same. I mean, I don't want to make too much light of this comparison, but oh, the, same, yeah. the same social milieu that the sort of early fascisty come out of mm. in the 1920s, right? Yeah. Um, 
not to I don't want to like you know yeah overplay that comparison but I'm just it's that it is that like social stratum right yeah that like there's something going on these people where they are totally losing faith in the social contract Mm. um, totally lost any trust in you know important institutions like Mm. the legal and medical establishment yeah Um, and something to watch I don't think it's over we haven't seen no I don't think it's over yeah yeah the second I, lesson, yeah. though, by the way, um, yeah. sorry, uh, on the th- second thing I think we should take out of it is like, it really, to me, it, even though they were annoying, right? Yep. And they're idiots. But it really, to me, demonstrated the total hypocrisy of Western governments and the Western media about protests, you know? Yeah. And, you know, so it was like, I mean, for example, you could compare in, in Canada, right? Which was where the sort of major trucker, trucker protest was. Yep. And we had a kind of minor offshoot here. Um, the Trudeau government was prepared to have police crackdowns, suspend people's charter rights, which is you know their constitution. Um, they seized people's assets, bank accounts, um, and like it was crazy, like yeah, over the top, over over what was I think pretty you know legitimate, if not if we, we might not agree with it, but I think a fairly legitimate um, protest over public policy, right? Mm. Um, uh, compare that to say North American government's reactions to we mentioned the the Foxconn protests in China, right? Like the anti-lockdown protests. It's like cheering it on. Oh yes, yes, throw, overthrow the government. Oh, they're so terrible. Oh, we love to see democracy in action. We love to see everyone's got a right to protest. Everyone's got a right oh, yeah, to yeah. have their say. Have your voice heard. Oh, oh wow. So you know, it's right for the Chinese, but it's not right for us here at home, right? Yeah. Um, I think as long as it's effective over there. Yeah, exactly. Well, not, not here. Ultimately, yeah. like, there's a totally cynical attitude towards yep. um, protest and unrest, mm. um, and it seems if you look at it all in aggregate, uh, it seems to be that you get support if you support if your uh, protest aligns vaguely even with U.S. foreign policy interests mm. and geopolitical concerns, uh, whereas if it largely only affects you know domestic politics and it's embarrassing for your government or an actual challenge to the bourgeoisie in your own country no you're a criminal you're violent and you need to be you know we've also seen big you know crackdowns in australia new south wales for example on on climate protesters um for pretty pretty minor disruption oh, crazy incident. stuff like was really it? over the top how long, how long she the the activists involved what she disrupted um 20, 20 minutes yeah sydney Mahomi bridge and it was looking at 15 months prison yeah. no 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 bail totally draconian um over the top like i think it's a perfect illustration of how hypocritical yeah. our governments are about yeah. democracy and about yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, the will of the people did you hear about the, her her um her uncle just happened to be a liberal front bencher i didn't hear that yeah and huh. and he um yeah he threw a front in front of the bus he was like oh wow. he absolutely agreed with you know yeah family that. values eh yeah big time family values good to see um and, and I remember thinking at the time and going, well, there you go. This is like, not that I have much truck with the idea of um, that there is, like, yes, there is such a thing as class consciousness and you can have a class identity if you like, but you can overemphasize it and that's just rubbish. Like you might be or something, but then it can change because it's an objective relationship to production and redistribution. Okay, I'm just going down there. Bear with me. What that means is, for me, the gut, gut thing for me, hearing about this, reading about this minister, and I disowned his, um, through his, his, his niece in front of the bus, I was thinking, like, you know, a lot of a lot of poor people and a lot of working class people I know, if they had a relative that got in trouble with the law, 
even if they didn't agree what they did. They'd support them. Yeah, absolutely. They would support them. Yeah. And that's the difference. Mm. And but and as someone pointed out to me, it was like, well, maybe um, maybe they had more to lose. But it's like, well, no, they didn't. What's he going to lose? He's got a lot of money and be okay, you know? What's he going to lose his job because he said, oh, maybe, you know, maybe 15 months is a bit bit harsh for someone, you know, up disrupting traffic? Mm. I mean, you can do that, you know? That can happen to you if you don't keep your car in good working order. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, easily. It's absolutely ridiculous. Anyone, yeah. Like, that's just, just amazing. That was just, just yeah. classic. And in the whole debate, the actual stakes are totally lost. Yeah. You know, um, uh, like I, we were talking off mic before about um, the disruption of the Melbourne Cup. Uh, I thought oh, it was yeah, quite good. Thing. Yeah, yeah, we had, yeah, there was yeah, an activist, um, you know, broke onto Flemington yeah. Racecourse um, the yeah. early morning of uh, the Melbourne Cup day and they had a big tank of sludge and they um, flooded a part of yeah. the race course to try to disrupt the race. Yeah. And um, part of the motivation for that was that um, when the Maribyrnong River flooded, uh, you know, a couple of weeks previous to that, um, the race course had a big, put up a big flood wall. And um, it meant that the floodwaters couldn't drain onto the race course, which would be perfectly fucking rational. Yep. And instead, lapped at the doors of the people and flooded the homes of the people living yeah, in the nearby suburbs, yeah. which is disgraceful. Yeah, absolutely. And, so I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Like injustice to call attention to. Unfortunately, yeah. though, you had Extinction Rebellion put out this press release that um, top. It was two pages long, firstly, and then it top loaded the whole thing with the, the actual activist's life story and about how they were a problem gambler and whatever. Yeah. And so what you had was the you know the Channel Seven, Channel Nine News. Uh, reporting that a disgruntled gambler had taken revenge against Flemington Racecourse, and that was the end of the story. And so yep. the environmental message and the uh, yep. the message of uh, you know revenge of the working class yeah, against yeah. these fucking um, you know jockey like you know horse racing bigwigs and horse owners mm. and the owner of the fucking racing track or whatever was totally lost. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's that's look, and that's that's the um, the advice there, kids. If you're going to put a press release out, it's got to be one page, and, less and one yes, paragraph and don't talk really it's not about talking about the person it's about talking about the cause yeah I just think yeah, if you're gonna, why, if why you're are you doing something oh we're doing this because this because right. why if you're going to break the law like, you've got God. to get the message right because yeah. otherwise people are going to go to jail for nothing well, that's right and that's I mean that's one of the frustrating things I know there um, there's some talk I've seen talk of there being more of these sort of direct action um, uh, attempts or you know this year and look, I, I share the frustration of a lot of a lot of activists uh, about how slow and ridiculous things. Like, I mean, it, it is really like on the one hand we were talking about Penny Wong before and giving her a little bit of a gong. You know, that's great. Well, well, uh, despite at the same time, I don't think we should be celebrating the fact that we what we're going to start trading with coal again with China. Like, do we really need this yeah. energy? Like. Wouldn't it be better if we just said, well, actually, we kind of like our economy didn't die because we weren't selling fourteen billion dollars worth of bloody coal to China, did That's it? Right. And it was probably very good for the environment that we weren't selling fourteen billion dollars of coal. Like, I get that, and I get that's the reason why, increasingly, there are a lot of people, particularly younger people, and, and a range of looking at the world, going, maybe like you know, um, destroying some public art or doing s- things like that is the way to go. Like, I'm saying, don't do that. Think about your target and, and get your message right. Now, if you're gonna if you're gonna get your target right, go for the people who are decision makers, uh, who are the people who are putting pressure on the government 
to do these terrible things. So in Canberra, a lot of them all are all based in Barton. They're all their lobby groups and peak representatives, or they have people they hire to go and represent their interests. Like, do some research, mm. you know, disrupt their day. You don't need to go and target the National Gallery or, um, you know, things like that that are pub publicly available. I get it's like, you know, oh, it's disrupting, we're drawing attention. That's fine, but all you're actually doing is just pissing off the punters. You actually want solidarity, don't you? Like, I mean, it's solidarity and getting empathy and. Um, people supporting your action that's part of building power to see things change it's not you know shock actions and then what are we meant to do with that like oh great you've just let us alert us to know what we already knew thanks very much mm. you know did you actually disrupt the normal running of business no you didn't business as usual continued go and disrupt the, those that run the business man like that's it that's mm. yeah that's my, my take on yeah, yeah. where is where is going we did that in 2000 we, we we had the M one protests in Canberra, and a couple of hundred of us shut down mining industry house for a whole day. They were forced they were shut down for a whole day because I was so worried about what we were going to do. And otherwise, we had a very nice sort of protest and played music and blah blah. Did all you know, lots of speeches mm -hmm. and stuff, and it was a lovely day. We draw attention to a whole lot of stuff. But I do find it fascinating that some of the um, um, yeah lack of history sometimes, yeah. um, and knowledge of like the best activists the best climate pol politics is actually bringing workers and communities together yep. and in first peoples and whatever and targeting the rich the elites that make these things horrible for us all so back to basics people so yeah that's that's uncle ben's little there you go little lecture there all right well yeah, that's great great <laughs> note to wrap up on um there is one story that i would like to just mention we're not going to talk about it uh, but it's you know the elephant in the room. There's one major world story that happened this year. And it's not Summoners. On everyone's attention. It's not no. Summoners. It's because uh, it's back on and big this it year. It is back on, yes. Yeah. Which is, yeah, why we were saying we were reminded of, um, of the, the convoy. Yeah. Um, no, the war in Ukraine. Uh, oh, I know we haven't yes, acknowledged it. Yes. We haven't recorded an episode on it all year. We probably aren't going to necessarily. No. Um, so you can find out about it from other places. You don't need to know what we think about it necessarily. Um, it's a fraud topic and I don't think it's necessarily directly relevant to what we're concerned about on this show which is the class struggle and um, futures and ways forward not the kind of you know I mean I'm in very we're very interested in US imperialism and um, all of that imperialism mm. generally but we are not um, necessarily wanting to litigate the kind of um, slow aftershocks of the collapse of the Soviet yep. Union and the end of the Cold War, which is how we might categorize yep. this particular conflict. So I, I, th I think just keep it simple, really. You know? yeah. Like, it's like, I, I just think um, self-determination um, and the right to self-defense for Ukrainian people. And, like, there needs to be a, a, there needs to be an end of the conflict. That's it. That's all yeah, we can really say totally about agree. it, I think. Um the only other one I wanted to mention, I, I did come across that nurses, uh, sorry, the carers union in Poland were doing a lot of work with very uh, ruthlessly exploited Ukrainian um, refugees in Poland. I, I think look out for those groups that are doing things supporting Ukrainian um, mm. refugees in Europe. But look, think, look, we're including not the uh, Polish White Eagle Club got yes. some uh, Ukrainian refugees working in the kitchen there. Come yeah. on down. Yeah, yeah, come to the you know if you're in Canberra, get to get along to O'Connor and have some have some pierogi. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think look for opportunities like that, and um, would be the. Uh, mm. But I don't think it's something we want to, no. you know, 
cut the hairs on yeah. other, than, other than keep an eye on it because it is, is concerning yeah. and obviously worrying but I feel like there's not really much we can do other than provide you know I mean I guess kind of like political and um, solidarity and that sort of way or look look for you know mm. ways to support well, we're not going to talk about it we're not going to talk about it so uh, what are we going to talk about we're going to have, what, what ideas have you got for what do you want to talk about this year this year though? this year well I know we're hopefully going to arrange to have our mate Mariam in to, yes. to go into detail so. about what's going on in Iran that's yep. probably on the cards for the next month or in the next month or two yeah, yeah. hopefully yep um, I am hotly anticipating um, what's going to happen with the AEU in Canberra um public school teachers are currently negotiating with mm-hmm. the ACT Education Directorate and um, have just rejected the most recent offer. Mm. Um, and those of you who you know, know us, know the show, might know that um, I just qualified as a teacher. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's very possible that I'll be beginning my career and going straight out on strike, uh, funnily enough. That's exciting. But um, yeah, so I think we'll, you, you can expect some coverage on that um, in the coming months. Um, what about you? Yeah, look, I've, I'm hoping that we get a, a few more, do a few more follow-up chats. You know, we might mm. might might look to get Mr. Josh Gordon on uh, to have a follow-up chat about Victorian politics and what what happened with the election. because <laughs> he did pick it, but it was a lot more, um, yeah, well, well past. Maybe um, a little more you know, decisively than, 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 than he yeah. expected. So. Yep. Yes, you know, that was good. It'd uh, we be great to follow up with Jose on um, South America. Ooh, would be. Maybe have a chat to Matt Byrne again. Yes, it's been a while yeah, since he's been on the show. Yeah, we need Comrade Matt in, in, uh, yeah. in the back in the house Yeah, to, cool. um, you know, provide us with some leadership. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let's not forget, this year, um, the local politics in the ACT um, will start moving towards pre-selecting candidates for the ACT's election next year. Uh, and part of that, I think, is just looking at there's some really fantastic campaign that's been run by comrades uh, in the in the party around um, pushing forward this inquiry into a four-day week for the ACT for a trial of that. So um, there'll be more news about that this year, and that's really fantastic um, intervention by um, a great group of. Uh, socialists in, in the Labor Party and that's pretty cool so keep watch this space we'll hopefully have some more chats about how that's going because that has got impl- impl- implications for how things run elsewhere around around Australia if not um, another example to the world of mm. momentum for a four day week yeah yeah cool alright well All right. as Philip Adams says that's your lot folks uh, and uh, we'll uh, speak to you next time in the next Dog Capital all the best catch you later <laughs>